Scramble Life Podcast, episode 35, y'all. Come on. So I laid it there, and an agent handles my career. Style of the year. Mm-hmm. Following the steps of the best of Broadway, East and West. I passed the test. It's all too much with the interviews, reviews, and such. I'm very tired. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Scramble Life Podcast. This is episode 35 of the Scramble Life Podcast. And, um, you know, last few episodes here, we've been doing it up a little bit different here. We had a few guests on here. We had Paul Porter. We had DJ D-Docs out of Seattle up in here. Uh, and a few other people. L still out there doing his thing. Getting singles produced by Large Professor. And, uh Evil D to beat nuts and all that type of stuff. Even doing tour dates with EPMD, that's interesting. So when they're done with their Europe tour and they come back over here to the States, don't be surprised if you see Al out there somewhere. So that's how that goes. But tonight, I wanted to do something special here, something a little different. I'm going to take my time with this one. Um, as some of you guys know, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, born and raised, East Side, Cold Spring, Ferry and Wallers. Hamlet Park, whatever you want to call it. Um, but music, it's always been a big part of my life, and there's been many musical acts that have came out of Buffalo over the years. Um, Grover Cleveland Jr., uh, Joe Public. I'm just naming the people that, like, boom, like, they hit the peak with things. Um, Rick James, of course, uh, so many others from the east side that took part in things such as Stevie J and so on and so forth. But it was a female situation. You had a group that came out of that whole Rick James camp. Uh, you had a group called the Mary Jane Girls, okay? And that was about four women that sang. Uh, the lead singer, though, she was from Buffalo originally. And uh, she's a downtown girl. And uh, we got her on the show right now. What's going on, JoJo? What's going on, Greg? How are you? I am good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Superstar from the house. A gold, a selling artist from the low, y'all. So um, I got you on the show today. I said I wanted to talk to you uh, just to see what was going Mm -hmm. on with you and also talk to you about how everything came about within that whole Rick James Stone City Band era. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, number one, I'm going to ask you, what what hood are you from? For the people that don't know, 
awesome downtown. Downtown. I guess if you could call it that, it was definitely the hood. Mm -hmm. Downtown, I was right at the very end of Jefferson Avenue. Okay. On Swan Street. I grew up there. Uh, Right there. Not the corner house on the Jefferson side, but the first house on the Swan Street side. Okay. Just um, my house. That's right down there. Pretty much. Right down there by the projects. Right, yep, right. About a block away from the project. Okay. It was like one block, literally one block, maybe a block and a half away of it. And um, at the time, the projects were not a bad place. When I when when I was growing up down there, it was not a bad a bad place to be. It was actually a good place to be. The projects didn't get bad until ooh, like maybe about seventy nineteen seventy. Mm, okay. That's when the gang, when all of the gang activity and everything started down there. Around nineteen seventy seventy one, it started to get bad down there. Okay, growing up downtown. <laughs> Okay, uh, you know, I know you had the influence from living down there. So did the influence to sing come from just living down there? Did it come from the church? Did it come from family members? How did it all come about? Well, I I was born with it, actually. Um, my mom sang, and my, my grandfather, who I never met, her father, supposedly was like this, this he was a gospel singer. He was also a pastor. Um, I never met him, uh, but my aunties and everybody else said, well, that's where you get your talent from. And I'm like, oh, okay, but uh, I was born with it. Okay. I always loved music. It wasn't, I mean, I don't care what kind of music it was. I listened to it. And I'd hear, I'd hear my mother sing every once in a while. She would sing to us when we were little kids, you know, going to sleep and stuff. She would sing to us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she had a beautiful, incredible soprano voice this beautiful voice. Um, there was, you know, tales that she did sing, you know, she was a nightclub singer, you know, but she, at the time, you know, I think that maybe she might have maybe broken away from church because she was, we come from a uh, uh, religious family. And uh, they said that she did do some things in the clubs mm-hmm. where she met a lot of famous people. She did meet a lot of people. And one of her stories was Charlie Atkins. Okay. Who did the choreography for Motown? So yeah, so she was she was out there for a moment, but mostly you know she when she they said she decided to get when she decided to get married she quit. Okay. So yeah, but the music was always in the house. It's the radio, you know, usually the radio. W B L K. W W no. First it was Waffle, then right. W B L K. Yep. And of course, you know we had to. And when when Waffle went off, uh, we turned WKBW. That's right. And and WYSL was right down the street. Their their um, their uh, tower or their transponder was right down the street, mm. on top of the seven hundred one Seneca building. Okay. So whenever you know, so yeah, no, and no, they didn't play any black music ever. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> Harry Ryan did. WKBW did a couple of times, you know, for a little bit. You know, they they played started with Motown, some of the things, and some of the, you know, some of the things like uh, the Drifters and stuff. I remember mm-hmm. hearing a lot of that when I was really small. I would get the Drifters and Benny King and, uh, you know, uh, Nat King Cole 
And those were those were the things I heard, you know, you know, big band stuff. You know, um, it was interesting. I mean, now that I'm thinking, now that you're asking me, it's like it's all you're coming back. It's like mm-hmm. I listened to everything. We had all kinds of music through the neighborhood. Um, my my Spanish friends, you know, like you know how they would do, like they would turn, they would open up their door, turn on, turn on the music, and it was all in the cracking. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I heard it from, excuse me, I heard music. It was all around me. It was all around me, and I kind of soaked it up. I absorbed a lot of that stuff because it just, for me, it was a spiritual thing. It wasn't just an ear thing. Right. It was a spiritual thing. I just loved it. And of course, you know, you go to church and you hear the gospel. Uh, gospel music was always really, really close to my heart. Uh, just didn't, I didn't sing, I didn't really start to sing gospel until after, God, I think I was grown when I started singing in church. Because <laughs> everybody else was doing it, you know, and I didn't want to. I mean, I, I like to listen. And I listened and I learned for a long time, so. What church did yeah, you? What church was, did you go to in Buffalo? Let's see. Let's see. I'll start with uh, People's Community, which was on Spring and Swan Street. Okay. That's where I went to Sunday school. On Mondays we had religious instruction. I went to school six, by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. School and, six. Um, yeah. So Mondays we would get out of school at two o'clock for religious instruction. And I went to Shiloh Baptist for religious instruction. Uh, when I got older, a little bit older, my friends, you know, because all of my friends, everybody went to church. My friends started going to Calvary. And this was when Calvary was on William Street. Okay. And uh, at that, you know, I grew up, uh, my main church was um, Mount Air Baptist Church. All right. I sang for I sang for Mount Air. Interesting. Um, but at the time, it was Reverend Willis Jones was the pastor. Mm-hmm. And that was the last one I went to. But I did visit. You know, I did visit other churches. You know, your friends said, "Why don't you come to my church?" You know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I went to church on a on a regular basis. All right. <laughs> All right. Inter- interesting. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. So. We got the background going right here. So your neighborhood mm-hmm. musical influence, you had the church musical influence, influence from your mother, your family, things of that nature. So you take all of this and you're growing up, you're going through your de- developmental years. How did you connect with Rick James in that whole situation? Well, that was, we have to fast forward to, this was in, I think it was 79. Yeah, seventy nine. <clears throat> I um, I was working for Record Theater um, on Main Street. Lenny Silvers, y'all. Uh, yeah, Lenny Silvers. Oh my God! Come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then here we go. We go. Well, now we going back again. Yeah, this is like going back. You're putting me in the in the time machine yep. right now. Yep. So, um, I was working for Record Theater. I got. I had a part time job there. I was um, going to Buff State, and I had just grad I had just graduated from Buff State, and I was on full time. He came in, he came in the store, 
Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit, or I'll take everybody back, even you probably. This is when the music was converting from, um, I think it was eight tracks to cassette. Mm-hmm. So I was at the cassette, I was in the back at the, at the tape desk that day. Mm-hmm. And because uh, normally I'd be up front, I was, I was the cashier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was the cashier this particular day. Somebody didn't come in and I was at the tape desk to give you a little backstory about why somebody didn't come in. We had to do inventory the night before. And I started not to come in either because I was tired, but my regular shift was from um, 10 to 5 or 10 to 6. Okay. They came in at about, you see, Rick and his entourage came in at about, it must have been about 1 o'clock. Okay. And, um, you know, we're putting back, you know, putting inventory, putting putting them with things away, you know, because you have to count those things during inventory. I'm putting away stuff. I, in, in my infinite wisdom, I had on a white blouse that day, which was no, because you got to touch dirty albums and stuff. Right, honesty. So I had, I had a little couple of little dirt spots on me, had on a pair of jeans. I was not the friendliest person in the world because I hadn't had any sleep. But what woke me up a little bit, I saw all these people coming in. I'm like, who is all of that? One o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And Oscar Austin, who is his bass player, mm-hmm. Oscar and I, now Oscar lived in the project. Okay. Me and Oscar grew up, you know, we started pretty much, he was just one of the first bands I played. I think we must have been about 12 or 13 years old. Okay. <laughs> and um, I found out that he was with Rick that day. Mm-hmm. And he came in, hey, Jojo. No, no, Joanne at the point, you know, because only my family called me Jojo at that time. Mm-hmm. And he came in, he says, well, you know, he told Rick, he said, well, Rick, this is the girl I was telling you about, man. We grew up together. You know, she could sing, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was doing all that. And Rick was looking at me like, Ugh, you know. <laughs> it was funny. So he looked at me like, yeah, you know. Because, I mean, I was not all dressed up. They were all dressed up in their, you know, in their finery. You know, you know, just, you know regular stuff that they would wear. Right. And there was the, all of the braids and the glitter and all of that stuff. And I'm like. So he said, oh, you could see, he said, I heard about you. Because at the time, also, I was doing clubs in Buffalo. I had been singing in the clubs almost almost eight years. And uh, he said, yeah, I heard about you. He said, well, listen, I want you to give me my telephone number. Or give me your number. And I'm going to call you. I want you to come and audition. I need a background vocal. So I'm like, okay. I took some of the tape out of the cash register. You know, it's not. it wasn't digital. All of the stuff was manual, so I took some tape out of the cash register. And I put my number on it, and I named a number on it, handed it to him, and he said, okay, he said, I'm going to give you a card, because you know, we, we chatted for a few minutes. And he asked me, uh, uh, he said, yeah, I heard about you. Have you heard about me? I said, yeah, I, I heard about you. He was one of the few musicians around me that I'd never met, because I knew everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, that was on a, I think it was like a, um, that, um, Monday, I think, on a Monday, he called me on Thursday and said he was going to send the car to send the car to pick me up. And I'm like, okay. So he sent his he sent his Mercedes. He <laughs> <laughs> picked me up. I mean, it's this huge Mercedes. And I'm like, and the um, you know, it was one of those things. It was so embarrassing, you know, because you know how black people are in the neighborhood, you know. 
you ain't got no raggedy cars. You got somebody come up with a nice car. Everybody it was like everybody came outside at that moment right. and was looking. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I get in the car and it's, you know, and I'm stuck up in the car forever seemed like it's like oh we had to go all the way to Orchard Park mm-hmm. so at this point he was he was living in, in Orchard Park and he was just starting to build his studio okay. um, down in his basement we go down in the basement and He's singing, he said, sing this song. It was all Motown song. He said, well, sing this one, sing that one, sing this one. Do you know this one? Do you know that one? Do you know the background to it? Yep. So when I got done, he said, well, he said, you definitely got, you know, he said, okay. He said, well, you know, I'll call you. I said, I know it's this other song too, from Motown. And I knew that he had wrote it, mm-hmm. you know, because me and my brother used to sing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Name of the song was Melinda. He, I forget the act. I, I, can't recall the artist that did it, but I started singing that one. Remember the girl who came to my world and made my interest in all other girls stop. And he said, he had the biggest smile on his face. He said, okay, you got the job. He said, you know my song? He said, you know that song? He said, that was like one of the most obscure songs. I said, me and my brother loved that song. We did. And we used to sing it all the time, you know. And, um, that was the beginning of my uh, background, singing backgrounds for him. Okay. So and that, that was street song. And that led into the Color Girls, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then what he did, because one of the Color Girls left, I think it was Jackie Ruffin. I think it was Jackie. Um, and I knew Jackie. You know, Jackie and Levi, they went to the State. So I knew them, you know, so I don't know which one it was. I, I'm not sure if it was Jackie or someone that had left after her, but I was replacing um, this girl. And um, what Rick did instead of, he said, well, <clears throat> y'all aren't the color girls anymore. I'm going to name you the Mary Jane Band. But he did tell me even before that, he said, listen, I'm going to start a female group. And um, he said, you know, kind of like Prince. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, like the of the six, he said. I said, okay. He said, but not right now. He said, but I want you, you know, to be aware of that. I mm-hmm. said, okay. So I, I went in and started with background uh, street songs on the street songs album, right. and um, and everything after that up until he died, pretty much. Um, but um, we were Mary Jane band. That was um, Tabby Johnson and Lisa Serner and me. Uh, first thing that happened, we did um, a music fest. The biggest thing was my, I'll, I'll step back a little. <laughs> the first crowd, I mean, really large crowd with him was 80,000 people. Wow. That was, <laughs> that was like, you know, my indoctrination, that was, I guess you could say, your indoctrination into the music business. I had done all of this, the rehearsals and, and things like that, you know, do some, you know, put some background sound, you know, he was starting, he, uh, was, he was finishing up street songs and starting on Throwdown. Okay. Um, I did both of those at the time and we went out on the Throwing Down tour, but, you know, there was still the street songs, all the things from street songs, come get it. Um, there was a couple of you know 
Um, but this is all you just play big time, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, first international thing was uh, Germany. Went to Germany to do rock class. Came back and we did, um, it wasn't the Sun Slash, it was a, uh, a Jamaican music festival. Wow. Down in, uh, down in, down in Montego Bay. And that was around what, about 1980 or so? Yeah, that was in 1980. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty, everything started and it started to snowball very quickly. Okay. We started on, um, we came back from the Sun Slash, I mean, the, um, the music fest. We started on Mary Jane Band music. Uh-huh. Tabby quit at some point, you know, because I'm going back and forth. That was out here in L.A. Uh, we started the, the um, things out here in LA. Tabby quit, and still, to my knowledge, I don't know what was going on. I don't know why. So then it was just me and Lisa. We were, you know, doing background. We were just doing background, you know, um, recording. So then, after yeah, it was right after right after that, Lisa quit. So he said, you know what? Uh, he's going to scratch this. He said, we're going to scratch the Mary Jane Band project. Mm. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do a solo album on you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, right. So he actually did. Uh-huh. It started with Musical Love, mm-hmm. Candyman, mm-hmm. Boys, mm-hmm. Prove It. And um, I'm thinking... At the time, this was my solo album. It was going to be my solo project. Right. What he did, he took the, he took those demos to Motown, and um, not to my knowledge, he, he took them. He took them to Motown. And he, I guess, at that point, told they they thought it was the group. Mm-hmm. He had background vocals. The Water Sisters did all of the background vocals on those on those albums, and um, they. It's on, on everybody's album. I don't know if you heard of Matthew and Julia Waters. Um, they sang on everybody's album at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like honored to be able to sing a little bit with them. Um, he brought the, he took he took those things to Motown and they gave at at that time from what he told me, he said they gave him a million dollars to finish producing the album. He said, but, he said, they thought, because of, because of the backgrounds and stuff on it, they thought it was the group. Mm-hmm. So he had to recruit people for the group. And that's how you got to uh, Sherry came. <laughs> yes. All right. Sherry came first. Mm-hmm. Sherry was first. Mm-hmm. Um, her and another girl named Pegan at the time. And we were working on on the inside at that point. Um, and then Tegan left, and two weeks later, and we had to take pictures. I mean, she took pictures with us. We got Polaroids because um, uh, the company wanted to see what the girls and see what everybody looked like, I guess. And um, she took pictures with Tegan at that point. Um, Candy Maxie came in about maybe about, a, I want to say about a month later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were still working on, you know, he was, I was still 
still working on some of the some of the other stuff with you know his background too. Mm-hmm. And they came in about a month later. At that point, we were recording in Sausalito, and um, he introduced me to them. He introduced me to um, Candy Maxie, and so Sherry was already there. And like, he said, "Okay, you guys are a group." Mm-hmm. That was that was the beginning of Mary Jane Girls. That was the beginning of the Mary Jane Girls. We're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk some more about the Mary Jane Girls. Uh, living Motown life, still living in Buffalo or being around Buffalo touring and some other good things. Uh, but we're going to be back in a minute, y'all. Yeah. Hey, boy. Would you meet me on the roof tonight? I got a surprise for you. Life Podcast, y'all. Episode hearing it <laughs> man yo that was the joint that was the joint that was the joint that was the joint tell me about that yes, one. Let, I mean, let's, let's just talk about that for like about a minute or two like 
was okay. that was that on the demo or was that done later? Tell me about that the Kenny Burke stuff with it, all that. Just talk to me about it. <laughs> okay, that was that one was not a part quite. Yeah, I think it might have been, but it was such a raggedy. I mean, it was it was a and that was really a demo. Um, I he hadn't even finished. He hadn't even completed the music because Oscar left around that time. And um, we were starting all night long when he left. And I do believe, I, I want to say that that might have been one of the songs. And it was his demo, and I just did a, um, I did a lead. He said, do a dummy, he did a, like it's called a dummy lead on it. Mm-hmm. And he said, don't rock into those lyrics because I'm going to change the lyrics. Yeah, okay. But all night long was, <laughs> <laughs> That one was kind of fun to do. It really was. It was a lot. That one was a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he changed the lyrics two or three times, and I couldn't lock on to any of them. Mm-hmm. When he finally gave me the final lyric sheet on that one, he didn't say anything. He said, okay, here's a lyric. Here's a lyric. Here's a lyric. Here's a lyric. Mm-hmm. And I said, but only thing about that was like, I said, but it sounds like I'm reading off paper. He said, because you are reading off of it. I said, yes. Yeah. I said, but I don't like it. I said, can I? No, we don't. We didn't even have time to do anything else at that, at that point. After I put, you know, we had done the backgrounds had already been done. And we put that lead on there. And to me, even to this day, it sounds like I'm reading off the paper. Wow. And then we put the ad lib parts in. Mm-hmm. So, oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, we can, we can, we can do what we can say what we want, right? Right. <laughs> On this, it's not any like, there's no cursing. I'm not gonna do any. Cur- I'm not gonna do his cursing part. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was doing that all night long, like that, right? Right. But he kept it. He kept looking at me, you know, because I could see him through that. He said. Has anybody ever made love to you? Oh, damn. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now I know how to turn two shades and three, four shades of red. And I'm like, that's personal. You know, I was, I was getting, you know, I'm a little fur on my back. You know, I was like, like you know how we did, you know, I was and like that. Mm-hmm. He said, that's how I want you to sing that. He said, as if he said, I know. Blank, blank, well, did you somebody? <laughs> <laughs> did that with somebody? So I like, still, no, that's personal. But yeah, I got the message. All right. <laughs> so wow. It's been cool after that. She said, "Oh, I said, oh yeah, okay." Oh, night long. Damn. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody, but that was probably about the funniest. Funniest one of the. I mean, we had a lot of funny moments. Rick was a. He was a riot. He kept us in stitches between him and Levi. You'd be laughing until tears were running down your face. And that was one of those moments. Wow! But all night long, we talked about, it. and he said, "So when we were gonna, they wanted when we wanted to do the video, starting to, to do the video, he said." Uh, Georgia, what songs do you like uh, for video? 
first one I said was all night long. And I couldn't think of any other one. I'm like, I said, the only one I could think of right now is all night long. Said, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to do Candyman. Like, okay, so Candyman was the first video. And the second one was Boy. All night long, what you see out there was not a video. That was from the television show Top of the Pops in London. Wow. When we went over to do our promotional, when we went over to do the promotion, I was wondering why he wanted the lead to be all night long. Mm. All night long was already a hit in London when we got there. Mm. Way before it was in the States. We weren't, people didn't, people didn't even know who we were in the States. And all night long was a hit, was, was number one over in London. And what year was that, 82 so or 83? That was in 82, I believe. All right. It was in 82. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the beginning of 83. I know it was cold. It was, <clears throat> I know it was raining or something when we went down. I can't remember what time it was. It was spring. Mm-hmm. It was the spring of 83. I'm sorry. Um, when we got there, we were already famous over there. Mm-hmm. And we did the Top of the Pop show. Uh, I didn't have, I, I had to, that little blue dress you see, I had to wear that dress for three days. They lost my luggage. They lost my luggage. <laughs> wow. So I was washing that dress. <laughs> I, was, I, I was doing the ghetto thing. I was washing that dress at night. <laughs> trying it with the hair track crying. I didn't have no clothes. Everybody, they was all, you know, of course you know how women are. They want to laugh at you and stuff and want to live on you. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. That dress cost $5. I flew over there in it. You know how you had a little $5 store, a dollar store, whatever, you know, the little little boutiques here and there where you can go in and buy something for $5 and under? Right. That dress cost $5. And I said, I only wanted to wear it on the plane. Uh I ended up wearing it on the plane. I wore it during the interviews, and I had, to, and when I had to do it uh, for the uh, for that video, I was totally in tears that time. Wow! Did you buy that in so, Buffalo, or you bought that like in California or somewhere else? I, I believe I bought it in Cal. I, I bought I bought it here because they had a, it was a five dollar store here. All right. And I didn't have any money. I said, "Well, you know, not at that time we didn't. I mean, I was broke." And I said, well, I'm going to go to the $5 store and get me something comfortable to wear on the plane. Right. All of my costumes, everything, you know, everything was in, the, in, in my suit. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to perform in that blue dress. And for it to turn into a video, when somebody said, that, uh, when they said that the video was on YouTube, mm-hmm. I said, what video? I said, All Night Long doesn't have a video. I said, we never did a video for All Night Long. They said, uh-huh, this is a video. When I saw it was that thing that blue dress, I started crying all over again. I said, oh, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> but I said, and somebody said, that's the, the little voice, my other, my other self said, shut up. Don't even tell nobody that. Right. So I can tell that story now because I'm no longer traumatized by it. And here you go. That's the first but on the has... life. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a $5 blue dress. Yep. And, um. That video I looked at last time I looked at had over a million views. I bet over a million. I bet. 
So, sure. so, so that was the hot <laughs> single. You had uh, yeah. a couple other singles over there during your two album period with Motown. So yes. during your time with Motown, I'm sure it was plenty of good times and then it was plenty of bad times. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me about your time with Motown, uh, the good times and the bad times, and maybe tell me a little bit about when you knew it was in, over. That was the end of it. Well, <clears throat> well, the good part, um, I got a chance to meet a lot of people mm-hmm. that I ordinarily wouldn't have met. You know, we had a secretary and a secretary. I had, we, well, the group had two secretaries, so. I mean, I never, I, I always said, I said, I didn't want to be a secretary. I wanted to have one. And that was something that I think I spoke into existence from my, from my younger years. Me and my sister-in-law used to always say, look, you don't want to be a secretary. You want to, you want to have one. Right. And we had two over there. Um, that was fun. <laughs> um, I met a lot of nice people, I met a, a lot of good people. I wish I could name them all. Right. Uh, Ricky Robinson was one who was just basically growing up. That was my idol. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as a, uh, a group, funny, funny thing, I loved, I loved all of the male groups at Motown as well as the female groups. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to meet any, a lot of the people. I met Mary Wells, but mostly I met, uh, you know, you know, people from the male group. Okay. I met um, um, oh, I can see his face. This is terrible. Uh, anyway, I'll I'll come back to him anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was this was another story. All right. Um, I met uh, Mary Wells. I met I met Elder Barge. These are people that I talked to. Smokey Robinson. Um. Oh my God. Jazz band was just coming up at the time. Skip Martin, Skip Martin, and I are still good friends. Um, Marvin Gaye. Just me. Uh, yeah, I have a Marvin Gaye story. I have a Michael Jackson story. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with Marvin. So you can mention him first. That award show where Michael got all of those awards. Mm-hmm. Marvin, uh, we were presenting. I think. Yeah, I think we were presenting. And Marvin Gaye was backstage. And it was just like he was in the backstage area right in the stage left where he was getting ready to go on. Uh, I think he was getting an award or he was speaking or something. And it was just me and him standing back there. And I'm standing back there like an idiot with my mouth open. I'm just standing there staring at him with my mouth open. And he and he said and he smiled and said hello, and I think I said hello, and that's when they called him. He was laughing his face off. He was laughing so hard. I mean, I was a fan. I'm, I was a huge fan of Marvin. Huge. And uh, uh, Michael Jackson also. Uh, I was passing his green room, and I walked in and introduced myself. I said hi. He was there with Brooke Shields at the time. Okay. And um, I went in, and he stood up when I walked in. I said, hi, I'm Georgia from the Major. He said, I know who you are. And that right there, that did it for me. 
He said, I know who you are. He says, nice to meet you too. Very nice man. Just a sweetheart. Michael was very sweet. I met Michael on a couple other occasions, but he, just like you saw him, uh-huh. or like you see him, he was a very gentle person. Very nice, soft-spoken. Wow. Just a nice guy. Uh, it was like, you know, uh, I went to, see, that was the American Music Awards. Uh-huh. So, it was like, and that was, I'm sorry, that was the second one that I went to. Okay. Uh, it was just one of the one of the things that you do out here, and like me coming from my background, like I said, it, it was happening real fast. You know, I'm, I was the quiet girl. I didn't say much, you know, um, and all of this was coming at me real fast. It came the same, that whole same thing came very quickly. The part with the girls, uh, it was pleasant at first with Mary Jane Bills. It was pleasant. Mm-hmm. And then it got ugly. Okay. And we're talking, you know, backstabbing, you know, you know, B-I-C-C-H stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen all of that. <clears throat> and, you know, and they knew I came from a church background, so they, they were, uh, they thought that they could, you know, they thought they could play me, right? It's like, Y'all know my mother don't know how many fights I got into right. for that same kind of stuff at school. And you, you try to fix yourself up before you get home, you know, because back then, you know, you know, I mean, you had to scrap it, you know, and I had a couple of fights and they didn't know that. And they thought that they could roll over and pick on me and I let them know in so no, no uncertain terms. And basically, they would, wouldn't call that in a, in a good way of speaking in tongues, but I let them know. Do not. Don't mess with me because I ain't the one. I'm a Buffalo girl. We, we, we I'm, I'm still a little rough buff. I hate to tell y'all that, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. We had those moments. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, it was just a, it was it started to become competitive, right? And you don't compete with the people that you work with. Every, with. In my idea of people working in a group or with people, it's like, look, you're working together, not against each other. Because one of the things that, you know, that we learned, you know, even in Sunday school, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Mm-hmm. And this is why you work with people. Their personalities don't, have, don't mean anything. What you're doing is your job to me is integrally, it's, it's an integral part of the person that's next to you. Mm-hmm. And you work together in order to get any job done. You work together. I have people working against me. Right. Not, not for any reason other than I was there first. I sang background with him first. I was with the for two years before they came in and then they started singing lead mm-hmm. on most on on the majority in fact all of the songs except for three. Right. Uh, four. All the songs except for four. I sang lead. And on the four that I didn't sing lead on, I sang background with with them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh it was it you know, it, it it wasn't a pleasant experience. I mean, 
I wish it had. I wish I. I wish I had better. Uh, something better to say. I don't like to talk about people. Right. But the experience wasn't pleasant with them, especially after they started to gain a lot of attention. After the attention came to me, mm-hmm. I was always trying to hide somewhere, and they were more in the limelight in that in that light. Right. And I, I, I never, I never got into that. I'm still not into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still do shows. You know, I mean, you have shows and stuff, and you have to, you have to, you know, see that person, you have to see her. Right. But um, for the most part, I'm, I, I'm what they call an introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm. I can be extroverted when I need to, right. but for the most part, I'm, I keep to myself. Okay. So, in in that particular sense, I wasn't, you know, I just didn't take to the to the fame thing. I, I, I still don't get it. Right. After all these years, I swear I do not get it. I see it, but I don't get it. You was a part of it, but you was like, yo, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to do with this. I'm just here because this is no. what I need to do. Right. Yeah, I, my singing was my thing. Right. Singing, that, that was it. And yeah. I just loved, more than any of it, I loved the creating, the creation of the music. I like the fact that we were different. Rick said, you're not going to be like all the rest of them girl groups out there with the same dress, the same wig, and the same shoe. Right. <laughs> he said, it's not going to be like that. You have four different very different personalities and the personalities that he wanted to want us to portray mm-hmm. were I was supposed to be I guess what they call the round away girl you know I was I was maybe I was the hood girl right you know ghetto fatty um Candy was what they called uh the vamp you know sophisticated you know socialite type thing Matthew was the biker girl you know, she was the biker girl mm-hmm. And Sherry and then Yvette, they were what they call out here Valley Girls, you know, the little the little girl with the curly hair and a bubbly personality and that whole mm-hmm. you know, uh Lolita. Right. I guess what they call it. And um that's what basically he said, These is what this is what guys at that time, these are the kind of girls that guys go for. So he said, we're going to put you in those categories. And that, that was basically our quote-unquote character. Okay. Interesting. So, so that's, that's, yeah. that's interesting how that all came together. Uh, your, your time at Motown and the ups and downs with having the other girls in the group and you being the, mainly the, the group. Um, it's interesting. But we're going to get into a whole other segment. Uh, sampling in the early eighties up until what it is now. And, um, how did it feel to hear your voice sampled for the first time you heard it? First time I heard it was, um, LL Cool J round the way girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what to say. It's like, what is going on? Why is this? Why is my voice sped up on the screen? And, what is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was it was kind of funny at first, you know. But then, 
when we got into the legal ramifications of that, it wasn't funny. Mm-hmm. What happened at that time, Rick had licensed all night long to LL Cool J for that particular song. He found out about licensing because uh, it worked for him with um, Hammer. And that BT and Hammer had can't touch him. Right. So right after that was when it started to blossom. Uh, I, I, at first, you know, I, I was I was kind of I was surprised in a good way by it, but when I found the reason about the legal part, whereas um you don't get paid for that, it's like oh because it's not your song, it belongs to someone else, your voice is on it, and they own the rights to your voice on that song. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever they want. Mm. I was like oh that's all right well you know. I'm, I was, I was just a little bit disturbed by that, you know, once I learned that, but I didn't care. Right. I didn't care until that song with the Vice City, mm-hmm. that video game. Mm-hmm. They made $340 million off the first Vice City. Wait, 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 wait. Say that number again. $340 million. Shit, where your part, man? Come on. <laughs> Shoot. From the Vice City, the first one. Mm-hmm. I had to go to bed. It's like after I found out, like, no, it's a licensing deal. You're not supposed to get paid. I think I was in bed for, the, for a week when I found out all the money they made off of that. Right. But it is what it is, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, it was. A good, it, I quickly got over that. It's like, well, but what? Because what it did, if we fast forward. And I go in and I read some of the comments. I got three generations listening to that music and loving it. They love all night long. Mm-hmm. You read them. The, some of the, some of the one of the comments was, "Well, who is this? How come I never heard of them before?" Damn. Mm-hmm. You know, and these are people who are like maybe in your teens, early twenties, listening to it now. Wow, I think I got everything set up right here. We're gonna play. Around the way, girl, right quick for the people that never heard that record before. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Scramble Life Podcast, episode 35, y'all. Coming to you live from the low. You were sitting in that room like, yo, man. Mm-hmm. Oh God, no! Now, Whew. I, I am honored. Mm-hmm. 
because about 45, 50 other ones have done the same thing. Right. I can't tell you. how I, I, I've lost count on people who have sampled, sampled my voice. Wow. I lost count. And it's like, that's like a nod for me. That was a nod from the next generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, 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 I'm, like I said, I'm honored. I really am. At this point, I'm honored. Uh, they just, they embraced it. They embraced it. what yep. they call now old school. Mm-hmm. They've embraced it. Yep, exactly. There's a group out there, um, Groove Theory. Yep. Every time I hear theirs, I think all night long, I swear, even now, every time I hear the opening to that song, I think all night long it's coming. Yep. <laughs> they took they took the beat, they took the bass line, they took the vocals. I mean it, they did they just pretty much how to put dissected that song. Mm-hmm. And um it, it's a good thing. It really is because it, it just shows a lot of originality. I think with, with um with them sampling. A lot of originality, creativity. Um, it's just like I said. It's just with. It's the new. It's not the new thing, but it's, it was the new thing at the time. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Her. Mm-hmm. Love her. Emil Larue, Emil y'all. Joint. That was the okay. joint. That was a joint back Love in her. the day. Love them. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So tell me about this you. right quick. Uh, I got okay. a, I got a question. So it was a rumor that you guys were supposed to do an album with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Is there any truth to that? I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a rumor to me, too. I did hear about it. I never spoke to them in a in a uh, uh, I guess a professional session, but I did meet Terry Lewis. I ran into him at a restaurant out here, right? And we did talk for a moment. This was before I found. I mean, this might have already been in the work, mm-hmm. and um, I was already away from that. I had moved out here, and I was already away from. From the um, Motown and Mary Jane Girl production situation. And I ran into him and we talked, we chatted, and he gave me his card and said, Listen, um, there's some things I'd like to talk to you about. I'm like, No problem. But every time I called after that, I couldn't get him. Uh-huh. We had a nice little conversation. I said, I don't want to talk to you too much because he was getting ready to eat. Right. And I was leaving the restaurant and they were waiting, him and his uh, wife were waiting for their food. So I'm like, you know, we spoke for a few minutes and he gave me his card and said, oh, I want you to give me a call. Said, no After that was when I found out the rumor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I was actually standing there talking to this man. Rick was fit to be tied because at the time we were still under contract. Mm-hmm. 
at least I was. Uh, this was after, you know, this was after 86, everything fell apart. All right. 1986, everything fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I left the group first. Okay. Just before the third album. I left first because there were a lot of inconsistencies with the business, with the money, and I was starting to learn, uh, I guess it was, how should I say, trial by fire with the business. Right. So you can't just get in there and just sing and not know exactly what the business aspect of, of that is. It's very intricate. It's very dirty in some ways. And nobody's going to school you. No one will tell you anything. So I was learning about all of that. And when I found out what was going on, uh, what I thought was going on, and I wasn't getting paid. I was working and I wasn't getting paid. I'm like, you know, you want me to record a third album? I'm not receiving anything from the person. And that was where it came into the royalty part, and you learn that uh, you don't get your you don't get your royalties right away. Right. And uh, okay, so I waited some more. Nothing happened. So I said, "Look, I, you know, it, it was starting to get weird because I had a friend come by my house. You know, at the time, it was like, you know, I had made some pillows that I was sitting on. She said, "I'm gonna no furniture. I got no furniture in the house. What's wrong with you?" got a number one record out, number three record out. And that, that burnt a little bit too. You know, when you, you have your caddy friends and they, they talk trash. Um, but it was something to think about. And um, it was a lot of, there were a lot of things that, that were going on with Vic and I think with uh, Motown at the time. The thing with Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam came up then, but it came up through Candy. She was the one that was spreading the rumor. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, don't know if that's true. Okay. To this day, I really don't know if it was true, but I know there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of cursing, there was a lot of stuff going on at that time, as far as the business was concerned. Mm-hmm. Motown was being sold to, or you know, they were being sold to it's been through a couple of different different ones, and mm-hmm. there was a lawsuit between Nick and Motown, and, and then there was a lawsuit between me and him because uh, I refused to do it. Mm-hmm. Another album, so under the contract, it did say that I had to do it. So I did do the third album under the rest. I did do it. Okay. Um, I mean, it kind of got a little bit better between me and him at that point, you know, as far as working. Because, listen, the part about this is like, look, we worked very well together. Uh We worked, we did excellent work. I used to tell him, I I, I signed an autograph. I autographed one. He said, look, I want want you to autograph this picture for me. So there's a picture of us, Stone City Band, and him, uh, in the middle, separate pictures, and he put it in this big uh, frame. He said, "Well, I, Jojo, I want you to autograph it." And I said, "We, 
my autograph was, we make beautiful music together, because we do it. And during the, the recording of that album, that was what made me know, look, the other stuff doesn't need to come in here. You have to do this first. Then we'll deal with with all of the illegal and you know, paperwork and all that other so all of those other things. So we worked very well together. I I loved working with him. The music part was always magical. It was always very creative. And I always say that we went to a creative place that a lot of people go to, but this is talking, I'm talking about me and him. We went to a creative place that stood the test of time. Uh, we brought out, we brought that, we brought, we brought it back. And it's on record or now on download. It's digital now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can download it, but all of that skill there, all of that fire, all of that creativity. He was very creative. I mean, we, you know what? One thing I like to do, I like to do different stuff. Mm-hmm. This was different. And I enjoyed doing that. That was the part that I love and respect still. You know, regardless of all of the, the lawsuits and the, and the naysayers and the bad times, the bad times worked. You know, like you say, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and those that are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. That was a bad, one of the bad things to work. That was one of the things that showed me that scripture in that way. Sometimes bad things turn out to be very good. And right now, as we look at all of this, he's not here now, but the music is. And um, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate all of it. The lawsuits were a learning experience that I couldn't have got if I went to Harvard. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, per, I, somewhere in me thinks that I think he did it on purpose so that I would learn uh-huh. because I was too interested in the music, more interested in music than I was the business. But I think he did it on purpose. I do, so that I would learn exactly what to do and what not to do. Ever again. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Growing up around Rick James, putting out records through mm-hmm. Motown, the whole nine. Jojo McDuffie right here on the Scramble Life podcast, y'all. You know, it was great having you here on the show today. Uh, I appreciate your time uh, and everything like that. Well, and uh, we definitely want to have well, you I on Well, I appreciate you reaching out. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you reaching out to me. No problem. So I can tell you, this was one of my more, out of all of the interviews I've done, this was one of my more relaxed ones. Cool. First of all, because you, like you said, you're homegrown, you know, so we know. <laughs> uh-huh. And second of all, this was, you ask questions that other people have never asked. Okay, good. I, all of these years, nobody ever asked uh, what, what exactly was going on. Nobody asked. All right. Well, so I appreciate you. No problem. That's good to know. <laughs> and just to let the people know, we, I mean, we'll make it short, but you're no longer a member of what's out there traveling right now around the country called the Mary Jane Girls, right? You're just doing your own thing, your own solo dates? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm no longer with them. There's two groups of them. Okay. Uh, one has Candy and 
candy in it, and the other would have sherry and Max. And um, no, I'm not a part of that. Uh, I I did call them and you know let them know hey I was interested, but no. We I what, my thing was look we need to let all of this go, all of the bad blood needs to go. We have a legacy. We have children now. Some of us, some of us have grandchildren. It's like look, we need to. We have a. We have to leave a legacy. We have to leave something for our, for our, our children. Right. And um, I got no both times. You know, it was like, or it wasn't exactly a no. It was like, uh, you know, uh, we'll get back to you. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I continued for the last thirty years. What I've been doing is solo. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have a couple girls. Sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. Um solo now for real because I do have a single that's out there working but it's on someone else's album it's, a, it's on a smooth jazz album I okay. had a guy contact me I'll try to keep it short mm-hmm. had someone contact me <laughs> to do a song on his album great great pianist great piano player his name is Vadim Tikhanov mm-hmm. and um, the album the name of the album is More Than Words okay the single they start they did put the album on on September thirtieth and um over oh, New York they put the album on on September thirtieth and my single out the following day the single for the last it's been on top of it's been on the top of Apple Records for eight weeks now so it's, my, it's the only vocal which is mine. I'm kind. I'm kind of proud of that because it gives me. It's it's kind of just like my departure, mm-hmm. and the smooth jazz is something that I did in the, what you would call what I was doing in the club here in Buffalo. So everybody that remembers me from Buffalo, I hope they get a chance to listen to it. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. What's, the the name, good what's the name? What's the name of the artist again? What's the name of the artist? His name is Vadim Tikhanov. Okay. He's Russian. Okay. And the name of the uh, album is More Than Words. And I have the only single on it. My my single's name, the name of my single is uh, Let Me Be Your Angel. Uh-huh. It's good. That's all I can tell you. It's good. All right. Um, I'm enjoying this. And I thank you so much for, for calling me and, and, and let me be a part of your, your scramble. That's right. <laughs> scramble life, y'all. And, um, all right. I hope that everybody gets a chance to you know, listen to the old music. Don't stop listening to the old music. It's still, it's still viable. It's still good. And I hope you get a chance to hear some of the newer, some of the newer things I've done. I've done that one. And if I work back, I got an album out there that was produced by Danny Lamell, which is Rick sax player. Uh-huh. Um, that one was slightly dangerous, actually. Uh-huh. Ooh, that one's almost ten years old. All right. Oh, yeah. It's also smooth jazz, you know, just kind of my departures. Like, you know, as much as you love funk, you can't funk forever. That's right. Or you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. You can't be funky ever forever. So. I hear you. But um, I appreciated all of that. And right. like I said, I've taken another new direction. So I hope everybody will embrace it. I hope I get a chance to get back to Buffalo pretty soon. I'm not sure when I'm going to get back. I'll try to get back for Christmas. Okay. So, Sounds okay. good. Sounds good. All right, y'all. So this is the Scramble Life Podcast, episode 35. And we're going to end it a little something like this, y'all. Peace. Yeah.
one would know that to feel. 